This is UCD Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist, and lecturer at New City College of Business. Now, you're welcome to Business Impact, and you're welcome to the month of May. How grateful we all are to get there. It was some long slog to get through the first three months of the year, the first four months, really, and it has been difficult, both in terms of COVID, the economy, just kind of keeping mentally active and healthy has not been easy either. But here we are, moving into a sunnier month, a lot more activity, some reopening under those government restrictions. So I think we've all got to be reasonably grateful for our lot, despite everything that's going on. We're on to number 42 of this wonderful podcast. And thanks to you, I want to say, by the way, because we have been compiling some figures recently on the amount of listens we've got to the podcast and an incredible 15,000 listens on iTunes, Spotify and other platforms. So thank you very much for sticking with us through difficult times and literally, technically and otherwise. We've got there. We've had some wonderful uh, guests. And if you want to hear the previous podcasts, I would just call out this ucd.ie slash quinn slash podcast where you can get all previous 41 editions lined up, touching upon literally every subject under the sun, everything from the business world overseas, marketing. We've done COVID, obviously, on a number of occasions. We've had a look at the world of machine learning in more recent weeks. Everything is in there. Different guests, different perspectives, different takes. I really would recommend you get to see some of the previous ones if you're only tuning into us for the first time. Now, those of us who work in business schools, I suppose we're, we're always tending to ask ourselves, what are we teaching? What are we devoting time to? What are we putting resources into? And among those considerations is often how we teach places, geographies and cultures. Are we inclusive or exclusive? And what is the kind of more core function of a business school? That's a more profound question. And one of the, the answers you get from time to time when you do canvas opinion, that is, we're there to prepare students to participate in you know the modern globalized economy that we're all in and getting those students to make an economic contribution. But also, I kind of think a social one as well. But at times, our curriculum can be narrow. Sometimes our geographical and social focus can also be narrow. And this becomes particularly stark when you think of how little we teach about other parts of the world. And I would argue that one of the most glaring awareness gaps is arguably our teaching and researching about the continent of Africa, the world's second largest and most populous after Asia, of course. Now, most of us probably don't know much or very little about African business, the African economy, African industry and African enterprises. So today's podcast really represents a step change to try and deal with that awareness gap, or at least some of it. So we're going to try and plug that gap and talk about some of these issues and our guests to help us and guide us along. One of them is Vicky Brennan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Proudly Made in Africa. And we also have David Nialuke, who is a Pima Fellow at the UCD Business School and a colleague who researches in the development space. And both of you, Vicky and David, you're very welcome to Business Impact. Thank you very much, Emmett. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much, Emmett. It's, it's a pleasure. So let's kick off a little bit first about both of you and, and the organisation you're both associated with. Um, Vicky, I suppose if you could just tell us briefly a little bit about Proudly Made in Africa and, and what it's behind its mission, what it's trying to do. So Proudly Made in Africa was founded in 2008. We call it PMIA for short um, because we like to talk fast about things we're passionate about. Um, I joined the team at the end of 2016. I took over from the founder 
so we started life in 2008 as uh, value added in Africa. And that kind of underpins why we do what we do. So we want to increase trade, international trade in value added products. And the reason that value added products are so important is because historically, the economies of Africa have relied heavily on extractive industries and agriculture. And those two sectors or those two industries are heavily tied to the commodity sector, which means the price fluctuates quite a bit. When you have booming populations, um, all reliant on kind of bottom of the pyramid sectors, that can lead to people being trapped in poverty, which is what we see in Africa. So Proudly Made in Africa is trying to do something a little bit different. We're saying if you focus on the entire supply chain and keep the wealth on the continent of Africa, allow people to capture the value of their own natural resources, you break that poverty cycle. And how we do that is we try to support African businesses to create sustainable jobs for African people so that African communities can lift themselves out of poverty. So that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. Um, we work in the food and fashion sectors because they are the sectors that have the most readily accessible raw materials. But then on the kind of the Irish end of the supply chain, those sectors are the things that people probably relate to the most. It's the clothes on your back and the food in your belly. Um, so if you go to the Proudly Made in Africa website, you'll see kind of the, the types of products we deal in. We deal in roasted coffee. We deal in finished tea, dried tea bags, tea leaves. Um, we have some world class chocolate award-winning chocolate, vegan and milk chocolate varieties. Um, went your taste buds there, I hope. Yeah. Um, and then we have lovely products like um, fully organic cotton soft toys for children. Um, and then again, fully organic, fully traceable uh, cotton masks from Uganda for the times that we're living in at the moment. So that's us. That's what we do. That's a good introducer. And one of the reasons we wanted to set up this conversation was we just felt that a lot of our listeners and the wider public here in Ireland and abroad, because we do have a lot of overseas listeners, bring a lot of stereotypes about Africa to the table. And, and, and you know, sometimes some of your work is, is awareness. So it's just getting African issues tabled at all or making them part of the conversation. But also it's trying to spell or, or, or examine, I suppose, and interrogate some of these stereotypes. And I don't know which one of you wants to tackle this question, so I'll throw it over to both of you. But what do you think some of those stereotypes are that you would most often deal with? Or some of the ones you have to kind of cut through to get your, your, your message out there? I suppose the biggest stereotype is that Africa is a charity case and that it needs handouts from the world. And then I suppose the second thing is that it's a one giant country rather than a continent of 52 plus countries. Um, so trying to break that down to say, you know, East is different from West, North is different from South. All of those countries are individuals um, and they all have individual things to contribute and individual needs. And then also that people who live there are perfectly capable of contributing to society and the global economy um, if we see them differently and give them a chance to do so. If I can add to that, I think also people are still stuck into this idea of Africa, which I think is coming from, uh, I would say, from the colonial and missionary origins of how people have been perceiving about Africa. And I think they've been stuck with that image of Africa. But uh, Africa has changed quite a lot uh, from, you know, from, from uh, the way uh, African countries got independence, the way they have began uh, developing since independence in the 60s, in the 70s, and moving onwards. So there's a massive change there in terms, uh, in terms of that. And um, 
and I think you know people have not you know they've not caught up with the, the new developments that have been happening uh, in Africa. So so and I th- I, th- I think still that missionary and that colonial perception of Africa still dominates. And I think the, the 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 thing that really brings also the continuation of this image is more also the focus of some of the you know some of the charitable organizations trading out there the image of Africa uh, in terms of you know uh, people that are needing assistance and emergencies uh, all that but also but I think also as well the media which is normally the, the case of the media how they they, they do the the, the the business is that they focus on the negative aspect on on emergencies on, on ep, 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 epidemics in in other parts of the world so the the positive development of africa and how uh, the continent has been has been changing since the, uh, since the 60s uh, 70s 80s and and onwards uh, you know doesn't 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 seem to 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 pan out in the in the in the broader perspective that people would have uh, about africa so so i would say I think many of the listeners and I'd say many people, they still have a lot to catch up in terms of Africa and the way it's developing in these current times. And do either of you think that the whole famine relief projects that a lot of the charities do have to engage in, and as you say, David, yourself, that they need to get themselves in the media, they need to get themselves on the news. There are certain pictures that, you know, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead, as the old uh, cliche used to go. Do you think that's part of the problem or is that sort of understandable because the charity sector needs funds? You know, so how do you, how do you kind of get that balance right? I think it's a really good point, Emmett, uh, especially in Ireland, the Irish landscape. Uh, we don't have that history of high net worth individuals and huge functions where people drop a charity's entire yearly turnover at a, at a nice kind of dinner dance, <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it. Uh, however, I suppose the first thing to say is that the African story is more than just response to natural disasters. Um, and when you constantly frame it in in those terms, like those big media campaigns uh, where the, the huge NGOs are, are asking for money to support kind of um, cyclone relief or famine relief um, or drought relief or anything like that. If people are bombarded with images of that and nothing else, then you get a really skewed vision of what the continent is. You think that it is just that. And when you go out um, for the first time to East Africa or West Africa or South Africa, you actually see that uh, it's not just that, that there are skyscrapers and high-speed rail networks. And and why on earth have we not seen any of that beforehand? Um, I was at a conference a few years ago where this exact question was asked um, to a panel of people a lot more educated than me, um, where people were saying, we have to change up how we do things. We have to change up how we present um, the beneficiaries that we serve as charities. And one question from the audience was, exactly as you say, if we stop this, um, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead business, if we stop that, people won't care enough to donate. And the answer from the panel was, well, then you need new donors. And David, um, I'm going to extend the question a little bit uh, from, from what uh, Vicky is saying, which is, 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 the, is, is the language we use around African and African issues a problem? I mean, the likes of the developing world, the emerging world, I mean, I understand a lot of this was well-intentioned when these um, pieces of language were first devised, but do you think that's part of the problem that the language you use about the continent is, as you said earlier, a little bit out of date, or 
is very narrowly focused, do you think? I would say Metis is, is out of the date and uh, I would say is also kind of unfair to the to the continent because it still ties in Africa in the same trajectory from from the way it was consumed from the, the missionary era, from the colonial era. So that that kind of you know, this is a different place. This is less developed. This is a, you know, so it still puts Africa in that perspective. And uh, it's unfair for the continent, but I think, say, even when we teach now in, in universities, it's also unfair to the future leaders and the future, you know, business people, uh, and as I said, future leaders of, of, of the world, because we don't give them a, a correct perspective in which they can engage with the Africa and the other parts of the world. For example, in, in teaching business, the students now need to engage with Africa as a business as a business destination. Now, if we keep that language of you know this is a different place that needs assistance is developing, uh, I think it gives a, a wrong uh, picture uh, in in terms of uh, uh, how that continent is and how current and future leaders can engage with that continent. And David, you've spoken a bit about the different models, um, and Vicky mentioned it too, uh, the extraction model, obviously, uh, you know, natural resources, the scramble for those resources in the 19th and 20th century, and even to this day, we're all familiar with it, and it's 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 not a particularly uh, noble story on a number of fronts, but have the economic models um, that Africa is part of, are they changing, and can you give us any sense of the kind of the newer models that we're, we're seeing um, kind of uh, unfolding? The extractive model is a, is a fundamental issue, uh, Emmett. This model where African countries are selling raw material to the other markets is the actual main source of poverty in Africa and the other countries. We often see a paradox. Why are these countries poor where they are so rich in minerals and the raw materials products that they Say to the to the to the other to the other countries. In fact, if we leave aside a small number of other factors, a big part of poverty in these countries comes from the fact that they are getting very little from the international trade system, in which they they largely sell uh, raw materials. Now we are witnessing that uh, African countries are emerging to change this system. They are now focusing on processing and manufacturing of various products for internal African for the internal African markets, but also then for the external ones. And in Europe, we have Proud Made in Africa, which is now a pioneering organization that is supporting African producers to add value in Africa by manufacturing and selling African-made products. Now, value-added African-made products, they go beyond the benefit that the African producers and the African countries get from, from fair trade. In Proud-Made in Africa uh, uh, business activities, we promote this value-added in Africa model. And also in, in teaching, we promote that model, as well as other uh, other equitable value sharing models, for example, the one that is the pioneered by uh, Divine Chocolate. Uh, that company, they share uh, their, 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 their profits 
with farmers in Ghana where they buy the cocoa. They have given the farmers in Ghana 20% share in their own company. So they manufacture the chocolate in, 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 in Europe, but then they've given the farmers where they get the cocoa 20% value of the company. So that's going a huge step to share value with the people where you know the main source of the of the product that they're engaged in, a chocolate, a cocoa, is coming from. And these uh, value shared models that are, are, are going beyond the extractive models, uh, what is good about them is that now they are consistent with the, the ethical uh, consumers that are emerging more and more uh, everywhere in Europe and everywhere we are witnessing emerging ethical consumers, consumers who want to consume products that are, are coming from people and the communities in a fair way. You know, they, they want to see that, you know, people that are producing these products are paid fair uh, share. Uh, they want also to see that, you know, these products are good for the equitable development of uh, communities and the countries where these products are coming from. But also these consumers want to see that uh, the products are also good for the environment. And most often, the, 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 the products that are made from uh, processes, from models that are beyond the extractive model are, are good for communities. They are also good for the, for the they, are, they are good for people, communities, and they are also good for the, for the environment. Well, that's a, very, that's a very positive message. And I suppose at this stage, the timing is an issue here, I suppose. And Vicky, you might be able to come in on this one. With the pandemic raging, just as some of these things that David is talking about are starting to develop ahead of steam, there has been a focus on supply chains. Um, we know, obviously, India is, is going through a terrible um, episode at the moment in terms of the pandemic. Uh, and we know there's been also focus on China and Asian supply chains. But Africa is also part of the conversation. So so first of all, uh, you know, how badly has the pandemic affected um, Africa? And I know there's we can talk about cases and all that side of things, but just in terms of the kind of uh, economic fabric of Africa. Do you have any sense just from your own contacts and so on, how that's all playing out? Yeah, sure. So in the, I suppose, the PMIA microcosm, the feedback that we're getting is uh, similar, I suppose, to how the world outside the US and the EU was maybe six months ago, which is the cases kind of, they, they haven't exploded in the countries that we operate in yet. Out of all of the countries that we work in, I think Tanzania is probably the worst affected, but there hasn't been that explosion yet. And I say yet because, as we know, the vaccine rollouts will be a lot slower um, in sub-Saharan African countries than they are here in the EU. Um, the people that we're speaking to have got vaccines, the rollout is starting, but there's a shortage the way there is in other parts of the world. In terms of the supply chain, we know that there are big issues with the fresh food and horticultural sectors. So all of those kind of small farmers um, who are either smallholders themselves or working on the bigger, more industrial farms, a lot of them have just lost their jobs, um, particularly in the flower sector in Kenya. There is massive, massive, as far as the eye can see, farms of roses um, and other flowers that get shipped here that just aren't really in operation because the demand for fresh cut flowers has gone because people in this part of the world can't get out to the shops to buy them. Or even if they can get out to the shops, they're probably getting out to the shops to buy things that aren't fresh cut flowers. And then 
in the country context, what do you do when you lose your job? You don't have the social security net that we have here in this part of the world. So that kind of pushes people back into poverty further. But in the proudly made in Africa supply chains, the, the products that we deal in, for the most part, and I kind of touch wood as I say this and cross my fingers, it is relatively business as usual. Because people are working at small scale, we really, we only focus on SMEs. Um, we don't think the larger guys need the assistance of a small Irish social enterprise. So the SMEs are pretty much business as usual. So the farmers are all working on their small holds themselves. They're bringing, we'll say something like their coffee harvest. Uh, there was a coffee harvest last month in uh, southwest of Uganda. Um, the smallholders will bring their beans and their coffee cherries to a hub. It gets weighed, they get paid. And then the roasters and the dryers start their work um, in small teams. So that is all continuing. Where we're seeing the problem, it's mainly with getting the stuff out. So once it kind of gets to the airports and gets to the ports, there's a backlog of things um, to get out. And notwithstanding the issue in the Suez um, a month or so ago, but just kind of getting things out on planes, um, there is reduced capacity absolutely everywhere and things are just taking a lot longer to move from A to B. So I'd say in our kind of finished supply chain, that's the, the biggest issue is getting the, getting the logistics right and getting the stuff from A to B, which I suppose in non-COVID times, is the issue as well in the supply chains. Um, but it probably would just finish by saying that's why it's so important to have a diversified economy. That's why it's so important to diversify away from agriculture and extractives because when shocks hit, they're hitting one sector. And if there's another sector, then the whole country doesn't go under, if that makes sense. It certainly does. Yeah, no, and it's starkly put. Uh, David, can you give us any insight into how COVID is, is is taking its toll in Africa. I, obviously, you're you're most plugged into Tanzania, but I'm sure you have a, a wider horizon than that. So so what can you tell us? I, I haven't been reading about it recently, but as Vicky said, it, it seemed to be not quite as bad as sort of pockets of Asia and the larger countries in Asia, but maybe it's changing. So any kind of update there? Yeah, yeah. So as, as Vic said, there is, is touch wood, you know, in, in terms of how pan, the COVID has, has panned out in Africa. So it, it, it hasn't been as worse as it was kind of uh, uh, predicted to be. And I would say the the international scenario of, of African doing business with other uh, parts of the world, that has been affected. As, as you know, like in Europe, most of the of the countries, uh, the, the, the economy activity has slowed down. So that's, you know, because as, as I said, the African economies are really linked uh, quite a lot with the European uh, American and 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 the other parts of the world, uh, so that has been affected in in kind of international business. But the good thing, as I said, also in Africa, the countries have been expanding this cooperation between themselves, kind of working internally to consolidate the internal markets. So I think that side of business has been helping in terms of. Uh, 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 you know, life and business to continue on. So Tanzania has good links with with Kenya, with Uganda, because they are all in the East African community. So I think we, after initial um, disruptions of the COVID, soon they've caught up and now, you know, they're trying to consolidate back the, the links in terms of our business uh, between the between the countries. So I think that, that internal kind of... Uh, a linkage that African countries have, have been building and are still building that is really helping the economy when you know the international trade cooperation uh, does not happen, particularly in these times when uh, you know COVID is 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 having uh, an effect. 
Okay, well, listen, th- thanks to both of you for giving us that wider perspective. Now I'm going to have an about turn and let's go more more locally and more narrowly, but more interestingly, I think, is, in some respects, is, is the work you guys do. Obviously, PMIA, which is a college-wide initiative, and the partnership has been going for 10 years. Uh, Vicky, um, just tell us a little bit about that partnership. And also, is it is it available or under study or under consideration in other Irish universities? Yeah, so this is David's role. David is the Proudly Made in Africa Development Education Officer. He runs the fellowship programme. So it's available currently in 15 universities and colleges around the whole island of Ireland, uh, but it's resident at UCD. So there is no other third level formal education programme that deals with the subject of business and development in Africa. Um, which I suppose is quite a niche thing, so maybe it's not a surprise that there's no other. Um, But in terms of kind of what we're trying to do, we are doing something very unique at third level. But I would be remiss if I continue to talk about this because I really think it's David's gig. So he should tell you exactly what he does. (laughs) Thank you very much. So... So I am the third fellow uh, in terms of uh, in terms of this role. Uh, uh, I'm resident in hosted in in UCD. So we work in UCD with lecturers, collaborating with them to include the teaching of Africa in the business curriculum. So we work in the in the Queen School of Business, also in the Smurfit School of, of Business, covering the whole College of Business uh, in UCD. We have expanding. We have been expanding from UCD to go to other uh, colleges. Uh, so, as Vic said, at the moment, uh, plus UCD, we are in 15 other uh, colleges and the institutes of technology here in Ireland. So, we go as far as uh, uh, Queen's University. So, short term, we teach students. So, at the moment, since we began the fellowship in 2012, we have taught about 20,000 uh, business students across the. Uh, the island of Ireland. And uh, so far, we are working with the nearly 65 lecturers working with them. So with the students, we say short term because we teach them in classes with the, the lecturers. But with the lecturers, is long term because we, we, we work with them maybe for several years to encourage them and then to support them to take on and include Africa in their business uh, uh, teaching portfolios. So, so that's what we do. And uh, and also, we we help them to prepare case studies, examples of including Africa in the in the business in the business curriculum. But also, we 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 are now expanding to include the cooperation between Irish uh, lecture business lecturers with the African uh, business lecturers in terms of teaching, but also in terms of uh, research. So yeah, all that has been going pretty good uh, so far, and. Uh, it's looking good in terms of the reception, in terms of the, the, the lecturers, but also the students have been quite excited because it, uh, often that's where you, you, you talked about stereotypes uh, there, Emmett. Yeah, often there are these supplies that, you know, is really Africa a business destination? Because when we begin to, to teach them, they, you know, they, they, they are ambivalent about Africa and whether it can be really uh, any business can happen there. But when we tell them, uh, they are really amazed and they are, they are quite eager to, 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 to see if they can engage with the continent after uh, their studies. You've obviously got different modules, different courses, you know, different years, uh, you know, throughout the, the, the student's journey. Can, can you put African content into virtually any module or is it more difficult, whether it's sort of something technical like a 
an accountancy module versus, say, a globalization module? I mean, are, are, is that not the way you look at it at all? Like, is there bigger challenges getting some of this really interesting content onto, onto different courses? Yes. So, so some, some of them are, are easier than, than others. You know, at the way the world has changed, even Africa has changed. At the moment, everything that you, we have here in Europe, there is in Africa. And I think this is also a product of globalization, particularly when we talk about the internet, uh, when we talk about telecommunication, uh, but I would say particularly the internet because the internet has made available, you know, all the information that people would have in Africa or people that have in Europe, uh, it has made it available for everybody. So most of the sectors that, you know, you could think that this is very exclusive, maybe it couldn't be found in Africa, it's there. Everything is found in the one that's found here in Europe is also found in Africa, one way or the other, because of the way the globalization of information and education uh, has been happening. Yeah, even technical subjects like you know accounting or even you could say um, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, all this there is elements of these uh, issues emerging uh, in the in the continent of, of Africa as, as well. So, yeah, so I would say, yeah, definitely there is other subjects that are easier to, to include Africa, but all of, all, of, all of the subjects is possible to include uh, the teaching of Africa into those subjects because the, all these aspects are also emerging in Africa as well. Well, if it does nothing else, it, it just makes for much more interesting course material. <laughs> if, you, if that was just its only, hum, if that was its only humble objective, you know, it's got to be commended. And Vicky, we use this phrase about students that they should be fully formed when they graduate. Do you think, um, what kind of students do you think we, we get when they've come through some of these African um, content pieces on modules? And how will they be different or how will they be changed by doing some of this and broader curriculum that David is talking about, do you think? I think taking part in these modules probably just it does what you hope every module in college does. It opens people's minds to different perspectives. I think that's the biggest thing you can do for a student really is open their mind and present an alternative viewpoint to what they've grown up with um, or what they've learned. So like like David said, when, we're, when we kind of go in or when David goes in and um, speak so we we give them um a survey at the start and i think the survey says something like uh, do you know of any african businesses operating in ireland and then do you know of any irish businesses operating in africa and the irish businesses operating in africa usually what we get back are the names of the big ngos the big irish ngos and of course they're not businesses um we kind of then say to them, have you heard of Guinness? Have you heard of Kerrygold? <laughs> and then they kind of say, oh, of course we have. We just didn't think they were down. <laughs> they got down that far. And we're like, yes, yes, those companies do great jobs <laughs> at pushing out their wares all across the globe. So why would Africa be no different? Um, and then the same African businesses operating here in Ireland, there's just, there's a lot of kind of blank faces. So you kind of say, well, if you ever wanted to fly anywhere in Africa, would you take uh, like Ethiopian Airlines or Kenya Airways? Of course, they all have their national carriers. Um, with destinations in Ireland um, and Europe at large. So th that basic, basic stuff, like the, the knowledge bar can be low for this subject. I think lately we're seeing a lot more awareness about the continent and um, what it offers and what its place in the world is and why its place is where it is in the world. Um, the knowledge is increasing. So that means that kind of David and I and the rest of the PMIA team have to up our game uh, to make sure that we're still stimulating them. So that that's a positive, I think. Um, but what we would like them to graduate knowing or thinking is that, um, yes, the continent has its issues, 
but it has no more issues or no less issues than any other place that we do business with on a regular basis. So we want people to kind of go out into the world, um, the business minds of the future, we call them. We want them to be going into their future roles or founding their future companies, considering the continent as just another place to do good business in. So if they're thinking of outsourcing, if they're thinking of finding new sources for staffing resources or just general resources, we want them to consider the continent because there is a wealth of opportunity there ready for the world. (laughs) Great. Well, it's very commendable. And uh, I I know already from talking to people in UCD, it it really has made a big impression. You know, students give really strong first first hand evidence of how effective it's been. And unfortunately, time is always the enemy here. It's been a fascinating conversation. But in the spirit of cultural exchange, it obviously goes in two directions. And David, I just wanted to ask you one final question, I suppose, which is a more personal one in nature. You, you do hail from Tanzania. You've been in Ireland, living here, studying here, researching here. You have a, a PhD from DCU, I understand as well. How have you found your, your years in Ireland? Yes, I mean, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, in fact, if we put a competition between the older uh, folk and the, the younger folk uh, uh, in, in, in Ireland, or I, th- I think even globally, uh, what I found is that when I, when I came to Ireland, uh, many people here knew about uh, Tanzania from the older folk. Even, even those who, who actually uh, never been to Africa, uh, you know, when I came here, they were talking about, you know, when I said Tanzania, they were talking about the, the first president of Tanzania, Julius Nyerere, it seems like of the older folk, everybody knew about Julius Nyerere. And that, that's quite interesting because uh, uh, Julius Nyerere would be well known among the, you know, among, among the people at the time, you know, 60s, 70s, because these African leaders were at the forefront of fighting for global justice. So the fact that the people here uh, knew about Nyerere, it means I mean, people were really tuned with the, uh, with the, with the global struggles that were going on uh, in Africa and everywhere uh, about, you know, uh, whether it's apartheid, uh, you know, ending colonialism, which was still in several other countries, uh, ending several, uh, you know, even international conflicts in, in places like, um, you know, Namibia, where, you know, South Africa was involved, uh, also other, 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 other various places, other various issues that the, the African leaders like Nyerere were involved, and uh, the people here were were quite tuned to, you know, to Julius Nyerere, other presidents of the time like uh, Kaunda in Zambia, you know. So, so that was quite uh, uh, that was quite interesting. Uh, I think we put the uh, in in terms of in, in terms of knowing and being in tune with Africa. I would say the older folk might uh, outwin. Uh, they might win over the. The younger folk, of course, they're trying with the, you know, visiting Kilimanjaro and the Serengeti, you know, but I think also that's interesting as well, because the, I think with the African countries becoming more peaceful, uh, many people are now able actually to visit Africa, because this is a feature of 19, you know, from 1990s, a lot of conflicts ended in Africa. So actually people now are able, you know, you can, you, you can pick your bag, uh, you know, and, and they visit Africa. As, as Victor was saying there, there's even an airline, you know, Ethiopian airline, which even used to fly from, from Dublin airport here uh, down to, to, uh, to Odyssey. And then it, it, it brought from there, it brought you to various African uh, destinations. 
Yes, wise words, and I hope in some sense this podcast, at a tiny level, but nevertheless, uh, makes a contribution towards those kind of goals. I think you're lucky a little bit, David, because you come from Tanzania, and it seems that every single Irish person has done some kind of walk in Kilimanjaro, so uh, <laughs> you had a slight advantage in terms of awareness gaps or whatever that most of them seem to have been over there. Uh, if, you, if you go on Twitter in the last few years, every single person who's a, a celebrity of any kind in Ireland seems to be doing some kind of a walk across Kilimanjaro. So uh, it is a country that people are, it's one of the one of the African nations that people in Ireland are reasonably familiar with, obviously the Serengeti and, and so on. Everyone, it's such a romantic country. It, it conjures up images, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you came at a different time and, and, and the whole um, profile culturally and racially of Ireland is changing so fast. So it's probably changed in your time alone. Vicky, we better wrap up, unfortunately, David, as well. Any final thoughts from you, Vicky, before we, we end this very interesting podcast we've had? I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to um, let us talk about our work. <laughs> yeah, and keep it going. As I said, UCD has been the nerve centre for this, but it is popping up all over Ireland and all of other campuses as well. And it really is making a difference, just kind of broadening that window that students get as they make their way through their, their student journey. Both of you, David and Vicky, thank you very much for coming on Business Impact. It's been a delight and uh, thank you for contributing. Thanks a million, Emmett. Thank you very much, uh, Emmett.